In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Michelle Mission, Two Men, One Podcast, every black film ever made. My name is Vincent Williams, and I am joined as always by my partner. Hey, what's up, Holler? It's your boy. This is Len, a.k.a. the Bat Tribble. And on this stop of the mission, we will begin our yearly exploration into the world of Afrofuturism with Afrofuturism April, and we will begin the journey tonight with 1983's Born in Flames, a film written by Ed Bowes and directed by Lizzie Borden. But before we get to that, Mr. Webb, I believe we have some business to attend to. We do, which uh, always begins with welcoming each and every one of you out there watching us streaming live on Facebook and on YouTube. Uh, Thanks for taking the time to sit in with Vince and I as we get together to review every black film ever made. Shout out to Deborah Battle and Aaron Fry first in the chats with their hellos. So, hey, hello. what's going on, folks? Um, long time no talk to. How you doing, Vince? How's life treating you, bro? Life is fine. Life is fine. I just told you I got my uh, second vaccination shot yesterday and I was holding my breath for that 24 hours. They said, you, you know, some some people have got knocked out after the second shot. And then I yes. and then, you know, yes. I was then I was I was super paranoid when I, I realized, well, is it 24 hours after the shot that people got sick or was it 24 hours later that 20 and then that, they got and sick. then they got sick. So I was all paranoid. But I have to say, I'm I'm feeling good, feeling, feeling good. It's like a, I, I was telling my uh, friends earlier, I like have a Charlie horse pain in my arm, but not a bee hmm. sting. It's not like a bee sting. So, you know, if you press like, oh, something happened, but yeah, I'm feeling great. I'm vaccinated and I'm now 13 days away from running outside and chewing gum from underneath the tables and grabbing people's sodas and drinking after them, which I believe is how it works. I believe Dr. Fauci okay. said that. <laughs> yes, Dr. Fauci did say that that was, that was fine. Um, uh, I just got my first shot yesterday. All yesterday right. Monday. Yes, I got it yesterday. And it was interesting because... I went to the Black Doctors Consortium. They were giving out the um, vaccines shots uh, here in Philadelphia all this week mm-hmm. um, at the Deliverance Church on uh, Lehigh Avenue. And they they are specifically giving the Moderna vaccine and the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Mm. And the majority of the people there were getting the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. Uh, myself and a friend to the show, Ariel Johnson, we specifically um, wanted the Moderna vaccine. Um, and in full transparency, the reason why we wanted the Moderna vaccine is because Ariel saw that uh, Dolly Parton was one of the backers of the Moderna vaccine. <laughs> She's a, a big subscriber to like 
if Dolly says it's cool, you know, all my research says Dolly is cool. So right, if she right. says it's cool, I it's cool. <laughs> right. So she and I said, well, if Dolly says it's cool and you say it's cool, then that's where I'm going. Right. So right. I went and got the Moderna shot. And lo and behold, wake up this morning and which vaccine has been put on pause. Right. And right. they stopped vaccinating people with it, but the Johnson and Johnson one. So that was that was actually very interesting. Um I actually when I got it, and mind you, this is only the first shot, and from what I understand, it's the second shot that kind of like gets that that hits people hard. Mm-hmm. But I could have blinked and missed when she poked me. I, oh I, yeah, I no didn't doubt. Even notice it, and then I would, and I've been fine. I have not had an ill effect since then. Meanwhile, Ariel, she uh, texted me earlier today. She was laid up all day with a massive migraine mm. <laughs> because because of it. But uh, so I guess you know it hits people different ways but um i'm very excited that i I got it now i I go back in may to get the second shot so and then which may you know god willing open the doors to me and you vince once again returning to the sanctums of one podcast table between us back in stride again just like maze featuring frankie beverly Oh, wow. Wow. Maze featuring Frankie Beverly. There you go. I like that. I like that. All right. So um, we got some letters, Vince, while we were away. We got a couple of emails. All right. We received an email from Monique Martin. Hey, Monique. She says, good day, gentlemen. I really enjoy the Michaud Mission podcast. I discovered it two months ago, and I really enjoy the review of movies. Some I am familiar with and some I'm not. You guys are so funny. I would really like to hear your review of Meteor Man. Starring and directed by Robert Townsend. Oh, is it now? I really... (laughs) You don't say. I really love that movie, and I can't find it anywhere. This... This movie had such amazing cast. Robert Townsend, Marla Gibbs, mm-hmm. James Earl Jones, oh, yeah. oh, Bill Cosby, uh-huh. Don Cheadle, Don Cheadle Don Eddie Cheadle. Griffin, oh, yeah. Sinbad, Big Daddy Kane, the dearly departed Nancy Wilson, mm-hmm. and Robert Guillaume, mm-hmm. Luther Vandross, and Wanda Page, mm-hmm. Tyna Lister, just to name a few. Just I don't know what more there is left. Just to name uh, a few. Looking forward, looking forward each week. To a new episode of Black Movies that were ma- made, and to your reviews. Thanks, Monique Martin, all the way from Brooklyn, New York. Ah, Brooklyn, the planet. Well, welcome, Monique. And as a as as a new missionary, there there are certain aspects of Michelle Mission culture that perhaps you haven't caught up on yet. And Lynn, would you would you like to would you like to illuminate? Well, Meteor I'll Man within way. the mythos of the Michelle Mission. I'll I'll just put it this way, Monique. I'm glad that you are enjoying our review of movies because you will have the opportunity to enjoy our review of every other black movie <laughs> ever made before you hear our review of Meteor Man. <laughs> and this is because on 
two. It's a two. No, it's three. Yeah, three, three times. Occasions. Three times. <laughs> three times we have sat down, each time with a special guest, to yes. review Meteor Man, only for something to happen and the recording just not come out. Yeah, three usable. different guests. So, yes, different guests. Different guests. That's true. So it has now been decreed that Meteor Man will be the very last film <laughs> that we review. So so um we're going to get there. We're we're going to get there but no time soon. Look look forward to the review of Black Panther 3 before Meteor Man. <laughs> Black Panther 3 Ghost Protocol before we get to <laughs> Who knows? We might even review the reboot of Meteor Man I, before we get before to we do actual <laughs> Meteor Man. The Seven Heartbeats. Who are those guys? <laughs> oh God! Um, but thank you, thank hmm. you, thank you, and welcome, thank you, and welcome, Monique. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, we also heard from um, H. Giardina, who gave us a five-star review on iTunes, Vince. Oh, thank you, H. Giardina. Uh, they say, fantastic podcast. Vince and Len are great hosts. I love the ambition of this project, and I love the insightful, deep, and often hilarious discussions around classic films and deep cuts alike. If you're looking for a place to start, I highly suggest the Body and Soul episode, which oh. gives great insight into the story and history of the podcast namesake, The Great Oscar Me Show. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank and you. that is a, a good recommendation for people. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you and welcome. Thank you and welcome. And we got one more uh, notice, Vince, and this one came by way of Twitter. Okay. And this is from longtime fan of the show, Chris Ali. Hey, what's up, Chris? Who says, reaching out to tell you how much I love the Ghost Dad episode. <laughs> however, however, Man, there is a consistent observation and critique you brothers address, and that is the issue of colorism. Mm. As, as a light-skinned, proud black man, I would like to raise the point that it's apparent you brothers find an issue with Cosby portraying light-skinned talent on screen, I was curious if you brothers could give a little conversation to that topic. Devoted missionary, proud to know and love your podcast. Y'all represent us well. Much respect, me show men. I don't hmm. I, I, I don't even think it's it's controversial to say that colorism is an issue with 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 black people. I think frankly colorism is an issue across the board but we talk about black folks and i do think that if you look at bill cosby's career in totality 
Okay. This is something that has come up with him. That that he he tends to favor lighter skinned black talent. And and I, I think it's not even a matter of levels of talent. Like like someone like, you know, like I think Lisa Bonet was an actual talent. Like mm-hmm. like I thought Lisa Bonet had very much had an it factor and as someone who it is so funny. I just saw an interview with Malcolm Jamal Warner earlier today talking about just having kids and 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 post everything with Cosby dealing with the Cosby show and ultimately falling down on the side of watching the Cosby show. And as someone who kind of unapologetically still studies the Cosby show, I think from the very beginning someone like Lisa Bonet had that it factor. Okay. Having said that, there are other examples, and I think we talked about it in Ghost Dad, frankly, where the talent is not there. And right. I think there are people who get roles, and, and again, I'm not going to go through Cosby's career with a fine-tooth comb. I will just say this. We weren't the first or fifth people to point this out. Where you see people in roles where he had decision-making power. And mm-hmm. I think it is fair to ask, is this an example of an aspect of our culture that we need to always check? So, I don't know if that's enough context. But, but to be fair, let me let me ask you this. When you say that this has been something that has been addressed and brought up as an issue in regards to Bill Cosby and his career, are you saying that this is something that that you have noticed or other people have noticed and you've seen it commented on? I think there was a fair amount of criticism in the 80s around the Cosby show, around Different World, and then there were retroactive discussions about his pre-Cosby show work. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then sort of afterwards about this issue. And okay. frankly, I think the, the, the kind of conversations that we have about somebody like um, Kenya Barris around this same issue, mm-hmm. the foundation is is the Cosby criticism. So, I, you know, look. I, I think it's a read. I I tend to go along with that read. I think it's something we always need to to keep track of. I think it is very much an issue in our art. You mm-hmm. know, just to just mm-hmm. to build out from Bill Cosby. And I I think that is why creators like a Issa Rae or a Tyler Perry really yeah. kind of you, you know, really kind of get this a claim that they get because they are within the context of so many parts of our culture where let's be clear where black men are in positions to make casting decisions, make these casting decisions along the paper bag rule. Okay. Wait a minute. I just want to make sure that I'm understanding it correctly. When you mentioned Issa Rae and Tyler Perry. Yes. I think those are two creators 
who have very deliberately cast brown or black actresses. Okay. All right. That's I, I thought that's yeah. what you were saying. I just wanted to make sure. Hey, missionaries. Let me tell you about a show that Vincent and I think you're going to love. It's called Movie Therapy with Rafer and Kristen, and it's hosted by culture critic Kristen Meinzer and Newsday film critic Rafer Guzman. In each episode of Movie Therapy, listeners write in seeking advice on everything from relationship drama to workplace frustrations to raising kids in the era of COVID-19. And then Rafer and Kristen, they dispense a bit of advice as well as movie and TV viewing prescriptions to help them through whatever ails them. It's part advice column, part watch list with lots of laughter and lots of empathy. Check out Movie Therapy with Rafer and Kristen, available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And I do think that as more and more Black creatives are exercising their power behind the camera, you know, and, and making names for themselves thereof in, the, in that um, sphere, I think you do see it's slowly being reflected in front of the camera. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I was actually just thinking about, thinking about um, a show that has brought up a little bit of, of, of an issue as of late um, on that premiered on Amazon recently, them, which mm, is a mm-hmm. new show from, uh, from uh, writer, uh, executive producer, little Melvin. Uh, and it's kind of like a, it's going to be an anthology type of show. It is an anthology like horror series set in the 50s. But, you know, for all the hubbubaloo that has uh, that show has created because, you know, there is a maybe a, a, a subject to be talked about the monetization of black misery, mm-hmm. or black pain that that that, that um, series uh, deals in. It is also still a series that is decidedly about a black family and every member of that black family is a brown skin, a deep brown skin person. Okay. Mother, father, and the two daughters, you know? And that was one of the first things that kind of like resonated with me when I um, watched the first episode. I was like, okay, well, you know what? I'm here for the brownness though. Right, right. I'm here for that. I'm liking that, you know? Um, So... I do think I do think, like you said, to your point, that as more people are behind a camera exercising their power, you'll see that more reflected in the casting. Um, have you had an opportunity to check out them? I think you said you you have. Yeah, I haven't. Yeah, I haven't. I'm 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 a little behind. I just uh, I, I just settled down and watched Frank um, uh, King Kong versus Godzilla the other night. So. What? I know. You just I know. You just saw- uh, look, let's we can stay on topic, but yeah, I just did. You know what happened? I got caught out. Camille wanted to watch it. Oh. So I had to wait. Like I had to find that moment where the both of us when the two of could you. sit right. for two hours and watch mm-hmm. it. Well, we're both Godzilla fans, but you're the kaiju master. Look, here. Let, we can stay with them. We ain't got to talk about Godzilla and we don't got to talk about little. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. That'll be trailer talk. That'll be trailer talk. Right, we stay on course. Right, go ahead. Them, but no, I haven't seen it. You have. 
but, well, I haven't watched the whole thing. I did watch the first episode. And while I, I, I can't knock that it's a, I can't say that it's a badly made show. Um, it is. Uh, I will say that you do have to be in a certain headspace to deal with some of these things mm-hmm. because it does, it's a horror show, but it's a, it, it does kind of make, take the, the reality of racism, especially at the time where it's set in the fifties and the locale where it's set, you know, like the whole great migration that took place out into California and into the areas of what is, you know, Compton, um, um, before it was the Compton as we know it, you know, um, it, it takes the reality of that and turns it, turns it to a more horrific and supernatural bent and makes it even all the more icky and creepy, which I think is what gives people like the gets in people's feels about it. You know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't, you know, because to me, when you, when you think of something like, well, to me, when I think of something like Watchmen, which everybody celebrated, which, 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 which was a big introduction to a lot of people, black and white, about the the horror that happened in Black Wall Street, right, back right. in the early part of the uh, of the century. Um, while that is very much a part of the the tale of Watchmen, it doesn't necessarily become the tale. You right. know what I mean? It, it, they reach from there, and then and 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 mix in more with fantasy and um and try to pull just story th- threads from it um and they also try to show the other side of the coin this show which mind you i watched the first episode and maybe like a little part of the second episode so it's maybe not fair to to um gauge it with this broad of a of a brush but it seems to just double down mm-hmm. on the the oppressiveness of the racism of that moment and then while yes it does put some supernatural you know um coatings on it it still is just very much it's just like it's it's just racism stepping on your neck and then putting the other foot on your neck and then having somebody hold your arms down and just like eat this racism and it was like yo man like I am not in the headspace for this right now man and I don't know if I ever would be in the headspace for this and it's a shame because it's a good cast you know Mm -hmm. but I don't know if I ever would be in the the headspace for this man it's just ooh it's a little rough and so I think that's what gets in people's feelings about you know this this being now the new norm right um of what is i i i assume people are 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 saying they see in a lot of the more genre type fiction sure that it's featuring featuring black people sure you know uh it's almost like people are maybe taking the wrong lessons from get out and us and things of that nature. Yeah, I 
you know, you never want to limit people. You you never yeah, want you never want to tell creators this is off limits. But at the same time, you do have to ask, what do you bring to this? Mm-hmm. You know, a, a, a setting like like the fifties and racism in the in in the fifties. You and I have, or rather, I've kind of rolled my eyes over the years. White people gonna keep making movies about World War II from now on. Like baby boom, like it's a baby boom. Like Tom Hanks and Ron Howard are somewhere right now <laughs> dealing with the treatment for the fill in the blank of the greatest generation with some brave white guys in World War II. And I guess my question, much like I have for them. Is if so? It's it's just a setting. But what do you bring new to this setting? What new do you have? You to know say what about? new do you right. have to say? And I haven't seen them, although I've heard almost unanimously the same critique that you just had. I don't know if I've heard one critique of them that someone said this is a worthy addition to black storytelling. Frankly. And yeah, and mm-hmm. this is just anecdotally and just reading reviews and things. And I, I don't I, I just I always wonder who is the audience, because as you said, as as a as a black audience, we have enough trauma just every day, and just in our general yes. like like we don't need this trauma as entertainment. So if if, if the right. if the black audience is your audience, what do you think you're bringing to them? And if the white audience is your projected audience, then now we have to have a whole different conversation Mm -hmm. about black pain as entertainment for this white audience. Mm -hmm. And I just, I I just want to see different things. And, And it's funny, you mentioned the two films by Jordan Peele, Get Out and Us, both very much black horror films, very different from one another. Both of them, yes, very different from the original Candyman, which Nia DaCosta is remaking, which I suspect will be different from the first two films that I mentioned, as well as Candyman. Mm-hmm. All of those different from something like Beloved, which we've talked about, which is a period piece. Yes, yes. So I... It, all of them different from Lovecraft Country, which had a lot of elements of horror and was right. also a period piece. So I do think there's a way to do it. I just I, I just think and, and and again, I haven't seen them, so I don't know, but but I do I I am looking forward to more projects that go beyond the pain, if you will. Right. Beyond the pain. And, you know, even something like like I was never a big fan of a film like like Saw, which in my mind was Mm -hmm. just sort of porn. It was just pornographic with the way it fetishized pain and all of this stuff. And and I certainly don't want to see a black version of it. But but I think conversations like this are, are healthy, like like I think this push and pull. And I have to say, I haven't read. A lot of I haven't read any interviews with the makers of um them, and I think isn't Lena Waithe the um producer? 
She's a she's an executive an executive producer, producer. Yeah. and a, something like wait, that wasn't Lena Waithe that produced Bad Hair, was it? That was Justin Simeon. Yeah, that was Justin Justin Simeon. Simeon. Right. Another horror movie, very much black, but it was doing different things. It was doing different things, and it was, and while black culture was a seed for it, it 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 still it it still was just a horror film that just featured black people and black culture. It wasn't like trying to. It wasn't porn. It wasn't. It wasn't right. fetishized. Right, but uh, it was taking an aspect of our culture and having fun with it. And again, I think there are a lot of aspects of black culture you can pull from and mm-hmm. make a, spe- mm-hmm. a specifically black film mm-hmm. and build horror into it, if you will. And to be fair, there are, there are, I believe that there are instances in our history um, in that you can also pull from and, and, make into horror is you just got to be a little maybe i don't know like you said you, you and i i also also was on that fence like you never want to you want to give creatives the opportunity to tell their tales especially if you see that it is a, a black creative that is doing this, sure like little melvin the writer director of it so you want to give him the opportunity to tell his story but um and he can't help the time into which it was it is released and what has been going on, you know, lately in these streets that doesn't, you know, just makes it just like even more of a doubling down on what's going on. Like, dude, like we don't need this because it's right there in our, in the streets. It's right there on the news. You know what I mean? And frankly, I reserve the right as all members of audiences to re- reserve the right. I'm just not messing with that. Like I have to protect my own headspace. Yeah. You know, we're talking yeah. about them. I, I just watched a trailer on Netflix, they're they're doing an adaptation of the Walter Dean Myers YA novel Monster, mm-hmm. and just watching the trailer and and you know Jeffrey Wright is in it and it you know it looks fantastic and it's beautiful, and I did when it when the trailer went off I actually said yeah I'm not watching that, right like I'm not watching that like like I have to protect my own head, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of this stuff that is. You know, I I do. I I also like the fact that so many of us as black people are pushing back against this notion that we have to uncritically accept our pain on screen. Right. You you right. you know again. Right. I I think it's a very fine line between you always ha- you have to document, and this is entertainment. Mm-hmm. And you and I were talking b- before we started taping. This is something that has always been part of of the conversation about black art. Like like you know, I'm teaching uh, Frederick Douglass right now, Frederick Douglass's slave narrative. And there's this extraordinary passage at the end of the book. This is, is, let me see, Douglas, I think this is like 17, 17, you know, like 17 something. No, no, Douglas. Cause I'm, I'm mixing it's like 18. I was about to say it's, it's like 1845, but he right. has this whole sequence 
about slave narrative and 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 the pain of slaves as entertainment for for these white because you know it's just white people reading slave narratives and mm-hmm. and even then he was walking this fine line between I want right. to document what happened but I am very uncomfortable and you should be uncomfortable with my pain as entertainment mm-hmm. and this is 1845 right. and we're still kind of having these same conversations so that again I would never ever say when they see us isn't a phenomenal and important work but at the same time I am like I don't you, you, it, well and even with apparently them which again I have not seen this slew of 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 just sort of black pain projects if you will mm-hmm. so uh, Miss Makiba uh, hits us up and says the at Kev on Stage Studios app is a black trauma free space focusing on curating hashtag digital black joy. Hey, so speaking of, speaking of Kenya Barris, my my favorite black mogul, uh, I'm sure many of you saw Marseille Martin said that when people bring projects to her office to pitch, which let's just take a moment. Everybody just sit in that that Marseille Martin has offices that people come in. Let, let the people know who may not know who Marseille Martin is. Plays Diane on Blackish, the younger daughter. The, the youngest on Blackish. Right, right. Well, the youngest of the I was about to say, months. right now they got the baby, but, but yeah, who was a little girl and now has grown into this extraordinary young woman and creator and producer, and she said her rule is no black pain. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Well, Vince, we uh, we heard from Miss Makiba, which means that it is now officially. <laughs> That's right. We can get into we can get into the work. We can get into the work. I I I I, I you know what? I really think she times it. She's like, yeah, they talk wrong. About Let me say something real quick. <laughs> so I can hey, just remember we got the letter. Like last year, a couple of years ago, where the missionary said we should put a marker. Yes. When the actual. <laughs> Can y'all put a marker when the actual review was right, started? Right, Cause, right, um, right. Because I'm gonna go and get. Some... I don't really. <laughs> well, let's get to the work. Let's get to the let's get to the work. Well, real real quick, just one last comment. Okay. Robert Monroe Jr. S- said that he had to turn off Antebellum. It got to the point where I was just too stressed watching it. I may return to it someday, but some stuff is just too real for me to watch, whether it, it, as a movie or as on the news. Uh, Robert Monroe Jr., as someone who watched and finished Antebellum, I will say that you did yourself a favor. Oh, um, Monique, we're sorry, going, Monique, we're going to review that before we do Meteor Man. You got that to look forward to. All right. But for now, <laughs> let's get into our review of Born in Flames. We'll be back with the film review soon as we do something funky and have steps in it. Adelaide Norris, 24. She seems to be the founder of the Women's Army. Homosexual? Yes. 
Hurst, 26. And we figured he'd be the acting leader of the women's army. Any general questions you may have? Um, why is it called Women's Army? Um, I thought Army is for the men. That sounds awfully masculine. Wake up! White women, get ready. Red women, stay ready, for this is our time. Born in Flames, a 1983 film by Lizzie Borden. In a world set 10 years after the most peaceful revolution in United States history, the United States is presented as a dystopia in which the issues of many groups Minorities, liberals, gay rights organizations, feminists are dealt with by the government. Directed by Lizzie Borden and written by Ed Bowes, this is the first film in Afrofuturism April, and it was the choice of Lynn Webb. Lynn, what say you of 1983's Born in Flames? This is a film that is done in documentary style, Mm -hmm. uh, ladies and gentlemen, even though it is 100% a fictitious story, it is a Afrofuturistic tale in that it proposes a future of America, specifically New York, in 19, well, it would be 1993, the film was made in 1983. And it proposes that, the, to a degree, the more things change, such as this peaceful revolution uh, called the War of Liberation, which basically sees the United States government become a socialist democracy, the more that those th- things change, the more they still kind of stay the same. And that it, the the country is still grappling with uh, racism, uh, sexism, classism. It's battling with a whole lot of things. Um, but it also is primarily, at least my read on this film, is dealing with the marginalization of women. And women of all colors, shapes, sizes, and uh, sexual uh, sex or sexual... Um, uh, uh, um, choices or, or lifestyles uh, as it were and in doing so and taking and having that be front and center on this film this is I think that is why this film has been heralded and championed as a almost feminist 
manifesto mm-hmm. uh, in in their in their community ever since it hit the screens in 1983. A lot of times you have to when you watch films like this, and we we've mentioned it before with. Um, particularly with the watermelon woman, Mm. you've got to remember the times in which these films are made and how groundbreaking just the subject matter of these films are to are for the big screen. This is a film that speaks openly of a two feminist groups who become the leading underground voices for everything against everything that is wrong in America and they and these groups are uh led by pirate radio remember mm-hmm. radio Vince? oh remember yeah pirate radio uh by two pirate radio troops uh one group led by Isabel who was a very outspoken white lesbian the other group led by honey who is a she's African American almost strikes me a little bit of with some of the trappings that she wears in the more I don't want to say she definitely she sometimes come across with like a harder edge to her as far as her her trappings but she definitely is softer speaking um uh but is very very Pro women, mm-hmm. um, both groups are very pro women, um, but they're coming from, they're attacking the problems from different sides of the coin, uh, as you were. And caught in the middle is uh, Adelaide, who is, you know, a believer, wanting to believe in the rights for women. Um, regardless of their color, regardless of their their sexuality, um, who is following the trappings of oh, uh, th- there's uh, who uh, Zella, who is this kind of like um, secret underground leader of this woman's army, um, and who is portrayed by Flo Kennedy, who was definitely a a name uh, uh, activist name of note back in the. Uh, 70s and 80s um adelaide is is like a devotee of zella like many scenes with her are literally her sitting Mm -hmm. at the foot of zella and just listening to her speak her truth about you know the role of women um in america and and the the role of women in in just society period um and all of that makes for a very interesting narrative as these two factions fight against the 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 government which while it's a socialist democracy is still very much led by men mm-hmm. still very much led by white men um who are seeking to impose you know their wills their thoughts uh, upon the the population of women and give them sprinkle them little nuggets here and there like you know oh it's about time that women get paid for housework um uh and that is only after taking away 
many of the jobs that women have had fought long for uh, in the wake of this liberate this war of liberation. And all of that makes for a really interesting storyline for this film that, like I mentioned, is told documentary style. So it's told with uh, quote unquote news clippings, news reports on television, people reporting, you know, what happened in the war of liberation, the ongoings of the government, um, the, the, uh, actions of the women's army who are branded as vigilantes because they are, they dare to stop violence in the street against women, um, in nonviolent means. There's a woman that is attacked on the street, Mm -hmm. openly on the street screaming at the top of her lungs on the street she's attacked by two two men and no one comes to her rescue except the women's army comes riding up on their bicycles and just blowing whistles just to make it that much louder of a scene until the men are more or less shamed to run away and yet they are the ones that are branded as vigilantes for this act and the people that that need to be shut down and um these two factions are at war trying to find, you know, what is the right way to enact some change in this society until they actually do take their the bull by the horns. Um, they actually do get guns um, and feel like they have to really take this movement one step forward. And that also is in the wake of, again, Adelaide, who was our window into this world who suffers a what is really a a a a bit of a heartbreaking tragedy becomes her uh in this film um and basically loses her life i'll say that without spoiling it to say how she loses her Mm -hmm. life but it is it is definitely tragic the way that she does lose her life and she becomes her she becomes a more or less a martyr for this movement that propels the last third or maybe like the last 20 minutes of the film. And that makes for a very interesting narrative that makes for an interesting, interesting story that makes for a movie that is rightfully championed as this feminist manifesto. Like I mentioned that born in flames is But for me, watching the film, I struggled to pull that out of the narrative of this film because the narrative is hidden to me in the stylistic choices of this film. By it being a documentary style, and like a lot of documentaries, it turns into a almost a collage of different mm-hmm. disjointed scenes that you're asked to track the narrative through. These disjointed scenes become hard to track. Many of them don't have any dialogue. Many of them do not have any true introduction to the characters, what the character, how the characters are relating to one another. Um, 
Many of them are uh, just stock footage. You can tell that they're stock footage that has just kind of been repurposed to mean something in this film. So there's a scene of people marching through the streets and then there's a voiceover that says, oh, this is the women's army marching. Doesn't really say what they are and you're not really introduced to who in this screen we're supposed to be relating to yet somehow we're supposed to be relating to someone in here because they're part of the narrative and that disjointedness and, and that also because some of the the dialogue now here's the dialogue unnatural does not fit well because in a documentary even a documentary style the dialogue should either be informing the narrative or informing the mission mm. but if it but in doing so it has to be in a way that we can catch on to what is being said and what it means to the story that is being told a lot of this dialogue comes off as very speechifying mm -hmm. which at times then just kind of becomes like a metronome in my ear and I just lose the context of what they're saying. It becomes almost like a word salad and I'm not really grasping at what they're getting. Um, it's only, I think, in that last 20, 25 minutes when Adelaide's loss propels the 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 uh, characters in the story right the different factions like coalesce mm -hmm. yeah the factions kind of like now come together on one theme now there's a story to track because that last part is pretty much straight narrative it's not so much you know cut to this rally cut to this newsmaker cut to various scenes of just women just being in this space and, and w women working or women just walking down the street. Um, it's not disjointed scenes. It actually is a narrative. So I'm able to track that, but the road to there was difficult for me. And it made me, I like, I like, wow, I really want a champion for this film. And I really just can't. I just, I'm not, it's not hit, hitting me. I'm not feeling invested in what it's trying to tell me and what it's trying to teach me. I disagree with your main critique that it was hard to kind of follow the plot. And I disagree that you found it hard to follow because I know you well enough and I know the type of things that you have watched and read this is, in a lot of ways, superficially, a very standard science fiction storyline. It's a dystopia that has the veneer of a utopia. As you said, it's, mm. it's in documentary style. The film starts. It's the 10-year anniversary of the Great Revolution. And in the documentary style, it is saying we shall now basically talk about the celebration of mm -hmm. of our great victory 10 years ago over over you know our enemies if you will and i i you know it, it, regardless of what your experience is with 
science fiction, if you will, whether you read 1984 in high school or or you saw the Hunger Games movies, I actually think it's pretty easy to get the broad strokes fairly early. Like, like this is what this is. And for me, I could then let go of the particularities of it, if you will. Which I think you're right. Okay. Like, like you get the sense that manifesto is the right word to use when you talk about this film. You get the sense that Ed Bowes and Lizzie Borden had this really well thought out list of political aims that they wanted mm -hmm. to achieve with this film. And speaking of George Orwell, whether we're talking, you know, something like Animal Farm or 1984, which I think is the same thing, they know that it's easier for people to take it in the guise of a story. Right. So that... I agree. So that I, I think what I admired about this film was a couple of things. First of all, I actually like some of the style cho choices. Like we're saying it was in documentary style, but but they're like you said, they they actually staged fake television shows. There is cinema verte with with some of of the characters and and their lives. I loved a couple of well, yeah, I, I'll give it you know, that. I loved yeah. a couple of the montages of women's work where you have these mm -hmm. wonderful montages where they show close-ups of women's hands doing all of this different type of, of activity, including a woman putting a condom on a man. Where, Which I have actually never seen a film of. Right. Well, me either, but you and I have never engaged in women's work, just by definition. And, right. and I thought that part of it was admirable whether or not whether or not the execution succeeded or not i think obviously is subjective but you know there's like surveillance footage that they use at one mm -hmm. point and and much like our conversation with watermelon woman i admire a filmmaker that tries to do different things so so that part i actually really enjoyed and then as far as within the context of our conversation and is this Afrofuturism? In my mind, when we talk about Afrofuturism and 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 something set in the future, mm -hmm. one of our baseline conversations is about representation. So it's yes. the Yahura thing. You've now shown the future. Are black people there? Which in right. itself, I think, is is always worthy of acknowledging, especially from a film from 1983. Second, in my mind, not only are black people there, is black culture there. So, mm -hmm. sticking with Star Trek, one of my favorite moments of the entire Star Trek series, all of them, was, I think, last season or the season before last, there's an episode of Discovery where, where the, the, the crew was having a party and they played a Fuji's. Oh yeah. So yeah, I remember so you, you know I'm I'm one of my one of my real bugaboos about science fiction is they show somebody in the future and to show that they're iconoclastic and they're a badass 
they're always listening to like Led Zeppelin or something. Like it's always mm-hmm. some boomer rock that survives in the future. <laughs> so a, I, I love the fact that black women were so integral to this plot. Like you, like you said, you've, you've got the main character, you, you've got the, the lawyer character, like it's just black women throughout. And then I have to say, as a feminist manifesto, frankly, written by a white woman, I was impressed by the intersectionality of it, frankly. Like, like there, there's, there, there's sort of that typical white feminist control your your fertility we want jobs right but there was so much in there that was about sexism towards lesbians there was so much about sexism across class lines like it wasn't just i want to work but but the type of jobs that you have there there's there there was so much about frankly blackness you know they talked about racism within there's a moment where where the the army is giving out flyers and the flyers have a list of of issues that the that the woman's army wants to address and i wrote down like the list is actually pretty extraordinary the list is they want to talk about cutbacks on daycare centers which now you mm-hmm. folded in this issue of motherhood and and how to do it uh end of free abortions which mm-hmm. seems like a kind of straight ahead feminist issue in in 1983 forced sterilization of minority women which i thought was extraordinary for that to be on the list that they said this is something we have to address because as mm-hmm. something that was made in 1983 well into the 70s a lot of states were sterilizing minority women, you know, specifically black women. And this was a real issue. Um, discrimination against single women slash lesbians in housing, huge issue for black women in, in housing, you, you know. And then finally, the firing of single women in favor of men with families in jobs. Right, that was a big one, yeah. And there's so much, you, you know, there's a moment where where a sister from the Sahara comes over and you have these two black women talking about the commonality between their issues, so it's almost like some Pan-Africanism for a moment. And I just really admired the thoughtfulness of it, especially within the context of what's happened like this is 1983 just to just to kind of give it some context two years after that a novel that i despise it's like white feminism the science fiction novel the handmaid's tale is published in 85 which just is just you know don't let this don't let the tv show fool you she hand waved away black women in the very beginning of the book. And that's just white women. Like this is just a white woman issue. So I really, really like, and then, you you know, and then I just liked how unapologetically radical it is. Like the film ends with them storming the world trade center. I know how, well, how was it that the film opens up with visions of the World Trade Center as well? Because it yeah. takes, you know, it opens up in front of that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah. I actually really enjoyed it. 
Yeah, I actually really enjoyed See, it. And 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 everything that you point out is true, and everything that you point out is there in the film. It is, and and maybe it was, you know, I don't know what it was. For some reason, while I can recognize that all of that was there, the presentation of it, and I'm not talking about the quality of the film. Sure, sure. I'm not talking sure. about that at all. I'm just talking about the film itself as it was edited and put together and that story was presented to me. It just did not hit me. It hit, A lot of things hit me as a bit of a word, like I said, like a word salad. Like, and And I can appreciate also that in 83... You don't know whether or not you're going to get another bite of the apple. So, yeah, you are going to try and touch on as many things as possible, you know, because of how, you know, the radicalness of the film and the filmmaking, the radicalness of the subject matter uh, as well. So I I can appreciate all of that. Um, yet for for some reason it just didn't hit me would i recommend the movie mm-hmm. yes i would so you know just cutting to the to the to the end i would recommend the movie as something for people to watch because i do think there is a thoughtfulness behind there um i and i'm also open enough and willing enough to you know um to say that you know there's there's shit here for you, mm-hmm. and 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 I know it because I I sense it. I'm I'm reaching for it. Maybe for whatever reason I can't I can't get it. You know, um, it's not hitting me. But I appreciate that. Maybe it will hit you. You know, uh, so I would definitely still recommend it to people. But it's just something about it. It's just the disjointedness of that story i just didn't think that the story there were moments and again this is a stylistic choice and maybe it's also part documentary there were too many moments to me when this the story or the meaning of the story was being told to me as opposed to being shown to me that's the way it came across to me. You know? I, I, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't think you and I are contradicting one another at all. I, I think I just decided to ignore that part of it early. In a lot of ways, it reminds me of Wild Style. Like, like I don't think by traditional standards of of film storytelling, Wild mm-hmm. Style is that good. But, but, no, but I think not. there's so much in wild style to pull out mm-hmm. where and, and I've actually I've actually said it a few times on 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 our show. I forget wild style is supposed is a movie. Like right. I, I forget it's just a, right. I think it's just a documentary because the, the narrative is is barely there. And and I think in a lot of ways this narrative is, is, is the narrative is an afterthought. Like I think right. I, I really I think, do get the th- sense that the narrative was an afterthought for all of this other stuff. 
and much like yeah, you, I, I'm going to recommend it. I think, I, like, I actually think this is a super important film, but it's almost like something you should take in a class and not a film yeah. class. Like, not a film class! <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, you know, no, a gender no, no. studies I, class curious. or something, but yeah. I'm curious, it, it's thinking of that, um, you know, we don't usually give away where we saw the films that we're reviewing, but I'm interested in in where you saw this film. I got that trial on Amazon Prime. So it was like on Fandor. Okay, so I wonder if you got what I got. No, you, you probably didn't because I watched it on um, Canopy, Canopy with a K, and oh. uh, Canopy is actually a service by which you can stream stream mu- movies and uh, I believe music as well. I'm not sure, but definitely movies and I think there's TV shows up there, and you can stream them for free. Uh, but what you have to have is a library card. Oh yeah. So you so yeah. you, you input your library uh, card yeah. and then you can uh you can stream it. Yeah. And which speaks to what you were saying about this film. This is definitely a, a film, not necessarily for a film class, like you know, this it's good learning for people. Look, you know? a- again, and and you know, just sort of my own um self-growth, <laughs> frankly. I've been reading a lot of black feminists text lately so like i'm i've been reading a lot of audrey lord and a lot of patricia hill collins and so much of what they talk about because even in the 80s they were talking about this tension between the different parts of feminism Mm -hmm. so you know not even like like we all kind of go towards white feminism but you know understand there are class tensions there are, are regional tensions. There, there's yeah. tensions as as far as I'm saying regional, but like not just in the United States, but between women in different countries. There is mm-hmm. tension between lesbians, and then the way all of that kind of goes together. And it really did seem like while all this conversation was going on, because a lot of this stuff was written that I that I'm reading in the early '80s when this film was being made, I get the sense that the filmmakers were paying attention to that conversation. So that in 2021, where we can argue about how, how things have gotten better or gotten worse. It's a, like, it's a really fascinating manifesto to me because in a lot of ways, this is, an example of it done right. Like, 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 like I'm a woman, you're a woman. We have these different, we come from these different perspectives, but, 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 but our gender is the commonality. We need to be allies. We need to do this. And, and you never, ever see it work. But I thought that again, there was a thoughtfulness to this film where she Lizzie Borden was attempting to demonstrate how it could work. Like, I love mm-hmm. the fact that in 1983 and, and you mentioned it street harassment of women was acknowledged as a challenge that, that, that women were facing 
alongside issues of reproductive rights, alongside issues of housing rights, alongside issues of work rights, like you said, alongside issues of, of, of acknowledging the monetary value of quote-unquote housework. Like mm-hmm. all of this was was kind of grouped together and and articulated in a way that 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 I think is important like 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 you know maybe the, like the, like we do a black podcast so we don't do the feminist podcast maybe it's a bunch of feminist movies that have done this but as a as 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 an example of afrofuturism as people who watch science fiction and read science fiction I, I I did. I found it refreshing. I like I really liked it. In spite of all of the very good critiques of the narrative that that we're we're raising, if you will. So well don't let us be your your judge, ladies and gentlemen. Check wait, out. Wait, 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 wait. I know you know order, structure. Remember Brie Brie Fossett, okay. she she came for the professionalism. So let's keep it. So Lynn. I know you said it, but so Lynn, would you recommend this film? <laughs> yes, I would recommend the film. Vince, would you recommend the film? I would. I would recommend this film. I absolutely would. All right. So, <laughs> if I may, <laughs> check out Born in Flames, ladies and gentlemen. It is streaming um, somewhere where you can check it out for free. Trust me. Check mm-hmm. it out. Um and let us know your thoughts. Let us know your thoughts on Born in Flame. You can email us. Feel free to, to email us at Michelle Mission. <laughs> email us at Michelle Mission at gmail.com. All your thoughts and concerns uh, about our review. You can also like and follow us on all the social medias, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Subscribe to the Michelle Mission at me show mission on all your social medias and go to the uh michellemission.com our website where you can listen to each and every one of our past shows two men one podcast every black film ever made and hit swag where you can check out all of the cool designs that we have coming your way by way of our good friends at t public i just did a new design for afro uh futuristic april all right check that out and if you want to know what that looks like you can um Subscribe to the Michelle Mission Dispatch, our weekly newsletter, so you can find out all the comings and goings here on the Michelle Mission. Before we tell you what we're reviewing next week, I invite you to check out The Podglomerate, thepodglomerate.com, curated podcast for your listening pleasure. We actually featured one of their podcasts just this past Friday on our feed, Table Flipping. It was flipping tables, man. It's a, a cool podcast that uh, reviews um, the the uh, portrayal of women in reality TV. It's a very interesting and cool podcast. You'll want to check that out, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Next week here on the Michelle Mission. Oh, look, it's my turn again. How about that? And, and next week, Vince, let me tell you what we're going to be watching. We're going to be watching a cool film from 2018, Directed by Julia Hart, also written by Julia Hart mm-hmm. with jo- Jordan Horowitz, and it stars uh, Sanaya Sydney, Lorraine Toussaint, all right, um, and Google and Patharol, all right, 
I like the cast. They're always a, always a favorite mm-hmm. here on the Michelle Mission. As we review Fast Color. All right. Afrofuturism April continues. Yes, it does. It's, uh, and I am very, very much looking forward to that film. All right. I guess that's about it. <laughs> so... <laughs> Maybe you're loopy from the shot. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I really am not. I really am not. <laughs> so please, HBO, give us another chance. <laughs> anyway. Uh, until next week, everybody. I hope everyone stays safe and be well. He's Vince. I'm Len. And and oh, I knew there was one more see, thing. See, I knew there was one see. more thing. If you are listening, see. enjoying our stream, and you for one reason or another don't check out the Michelle Mission um, po- actual podcast, why you are missing it? Because this month for Afrofuturist April, we are, are premiering a new theme music by one very talented local producer, Alexa gold it's called uh head nodding that's what she calls the track and it will be the new theme music all hours for the Micho mission so so we don't have to worry about that cease and desist letter anymore vince it's no longer a threat i was kind of looking forward to it like i wanted to get it in and frame it like i was hoping it'd be on like 40 acres in a mule letterhead Mm. Well, maybe maybe he'll listen to our review of um, the Five Bloods, like an angry <laughs> scrawl, like an angry Spike Lee scrawl at the bottom. But okay, yeah, yeah, you know, he'll write it in a sharpie. Now, <laughs> now that's the thing you forgot. That's the only thing that of thing. note that's going up, going on. Nothing going on this weekend. You might want to share with the missionaries. Oh yes. Um, <laughs> the, the, I try to keep, you know, I, I try not to cross hey, the streams, man. but this is big. Yes, it is big. The week has come, ladies and gentlemen. This weekend, it is the week where um, myself and my fellow Black Tribbles will be getting together live for the world record longest live podcast this weekend on April 16th through the 18th um live in person and streaming on lunch table which is the cool streaming platform presented by blavity.com we will be streaming 60 straight hours of podcasting starting friday at 9 a.m and going all the way till sunday at 9 p.m wow a lot of fun and my partner, my fellow man of me show, Vince Williams, will be joining us on Sunday afternoon as he helps referee the great <laughs> chocolate cake race. Yes, yes. As, um, which is going to be insane as we uh, attempt to eat Camille's confections in world record time. Oh, yeah. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Hope you can take the time to check out some of the shenanigans 
that we have coming for you. Uh, if you haven't listened to my crew, the Black Tribbles, we we get it in. We have a good time. We have a real good time. All right, we're geeky and we have fun. All right. Well, thank you, Vince. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. Absolutely. To Appreciate you. All right. Now we got to get out of here. All right. He's Vince. I'm Len. And in parting, we say. We'll see you when it's time to meet again. 